Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. At Grace, we're about to begin a sermon series on Matthew 13, a chapter which collects a whole series of the parables of Jesus. When we talk about the parables today, it's often as a springboard into contemporary discussions about storytelling, narrative theology, and even learning styles. Cameron and I are going to talk about these things, but not in this episode. Next time, we'll look at the broader implications of Jesus' teaching in parables. But in this episode, we're going to focus on how Jesus explains them. When the disciples ask Jesus in Matthew 13 why he teaches this way, his explanation takes us in a very different direction, and that's where we want to go now. In this episode, we'll lay a foundation for interpreting the parables in light of the rationale that Jesus gives. Pastor Mark, I am excited for our new sermon series at church because I know we're about to dive into Jesus' parables. Jesus' parables are fascinating to many people and for many reasons. In this episode, I'd love to just spend some time discussing them at a high level, maybe introducing the idea of a parable, what Jesus was up to with these, and as a church, what we should be expecting as we get into the parables of Jesus. So this will be releasing on Friday, and then we'll have our first sermon of the series on Sunday. What should we be expecting on Sunday? Well, Matthew 13 definitely is a shift from what we've seen already in Matthew's gospel, because for the rest of the chapter, we're going to see essentially Jesus telling stories. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole series of these stories or parables that Jesus tells, and he will occasionally give explanations or interpretations of them, but not always. And so it invites us into almost a different genre of teaching, and we need to think a little bit about how to manage it, how to interpret it, what's the right way to approach reading a parable, and also what does the fact that Jesus teaches this way tell us? You know, What can yeah. we learn from this mode of, of instruction? Mm-hmm. Right, So because so far, I guess I'm thinking chapter five is it you know the sermon on the mount he's he's done some sort of expository teaching giving of the law he's done some religious correction of Mm -hmm. the you know the higher ups we've been getting some of that these like sort of whoa statements but this is a shift to a new mode of teaching so the question is why 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 does he make this shift and what is he up to with parables yeah so most people are familiar, I think, with the idea of a parable, but but just in case, a parable is just a simple story, and it, even in the telling of it, it, it will suggest that there's some sort of deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a fable in the sense of like Aesop's fables, where there's a moral of the story, and yet there is a similarity where typically the, the story is unspooled, and then the ending of the story will give some sort of summation that points to the, the, the deeper level of things. And so it's 
compared to the other modes of teaching that we've already encountered from Jesus, which really do run the gamut of uh, rhetoric, Mm -hmm. you know, from, like you say, exposition of scripture to admonitions, some rebukes, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But, but a lot that we would recognize as polemics here, this feels a little bit more creative a little bit more, um, I never know if it's left brain or right brain, but whichever <laughs> side of the brain is the creative one. Um, I guess you can tell which brain I have. But, but you know, so it seems as if we're, we're stretching a different muscle mm. in these parables. And that can be interesting. Also, because they lend themselves to interpretation, they are sometimes ambiguous. And I think that can be a challenge for us because... The idea that Jesus would be content to teach in a way that could be easily misunderstood can be surprising. Right. You know, wouldn't he want people to know exactly what it is that he's trying to say? Um, that's a good question. But but when you're teaching this way, we're not sure. Maybe not. Yeah. Who Who is Jesus speaking to with these parables? Is it still just religious leaders? Is it his disciples only? Well, there is a shift in Matthew's gospel. We've been seeing in chapters 11 and 12 where Jesus, although he's speaking to great crowds, is often interacting with critics, you know, scribes and Pharisees, and and even at the end of the chapter, his family. Here, we're told that there's a, a crowd that gathers, and logistically speaking, there's so many people that in order to be able to address them, Jesus gets in a boat and kind of goes out on the water. So in a sense, it, it suggests a makeshift amphitheater. Mm. You know, if you imagine a sort of curving shoreline with a bunch of people around it, uh, the way to address them all is to go out into the water and kind of <laughs> speak to them that way. So he, he's speaking to disciples and followers, the people in that crowd who have gathered for whatever reason. However, it's still in the context of all the resistance that we've seen. And, and one through line in all the parables is that they will have a lot to do with uh, judgment. They'll have a lot to do with the, the right valuing of the kingdom, which always suggests that the kingdom is being devalued mm-hmm. if you have to talk about how to rightly value it. So there's still a, a, an atmosphere of opposition that runs through this chapter. So even though we're not told that Jesus is arguing with critics, he's definitely addressing people who are not wholeheartedly following his message. And in the first of the parables, that's illustrated really well because it's it's the parable of the sower. So a sower goes out and he's scattering seed in the ground and there are uh, four outcomes that result from the the spreading of the seed. And we'll be looking at those yeah. in the sermon. But what's interesting to observe about that is, first of all, it's it's a little bit unusual uh, the order of things. Apparently, this wouldn't have been the norm at that time, but it wasn't unheard of to throw seed, scatter seed, and then to plow the ground, mm. rather than to do it the other way around. And and this seems to be the the, the way that Jesus is describing. So someone is, is going along throwing seed everywhere and it lands in different kinds of soil and there are different results from that. And ironically, of the four that are described, only one of them actually produces. 
So there are four options, but there's kind of really only two. There's, there's three kinds of unfruitfulness <laughs> and then one kind of fruitfulness. And the story is clearly a, a metaphor addressing the response to the kingdom yeah. and the response to the gospel. As the gospel goes out, people are not embracing it. You know, some are, but a lot of them aren't, as we've seen. And so this story helps to explain why that is. And I think that's part of the purpose for, for this particular story. But again, the fact that we're talking about a bunch of people whose reaction to the gospel of the kingdom is negative in one way or another suggests the atmosphere of doubt or struggle that we've already established. Right. So I know that there are different views on why Jesus used parables. Some people think he was just a very good teacher. And we all know that good teachers use stories and examples to get their points across in a not so literal fashion. Do you think some of that's going on? Well, or? I mean, it's a good point. There's a reason why that's one of the first guesses that, that people make in terms of why Jesus would teach this way, because we do respond to stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know as a teacher, not a great teacher, but a teacher that some of the most engaging moments in, you know, a Sunday school class or even a sermon will be the narrative moments. The things that people are most likely to remember are the stories that you tell and not the abstract points that you make. So the idea of telling a story that embodies that abstract point is actually pretty clever, right? Because the story sticks in your mind. And if you can remember the story, you can always reinterpret it to get the meaning out of it again if you, if you lose track of that. So I think every teacher understands that there's a powerful advantage to using stories as a way of getting attention, but also making the the application that you're trying to get across a, a memorable one. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, a, a, a common way of thinking about why Jesus uses parables. Maybe a more sophisticated way of thinking about this is one that we've seen a lot recently. I think in the last 20 years or so, as people have become enamored with and sort of fascinated by narrative theology and the 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 way in which scripture reveals itself first and foremost as God's story of redemption we've really focused on the idea that the parables show that we serve a storytelling god mm -hmm. it makes sense to us that the whole story of redemption would unfold as a narrative over time when we consider Jesus as a teller of stories, right. a weaver of, you know, parabolic narrative. <laughs> and so I think there's a, especially in, in Christian creative circles, people talk a lot about parables. They talk a lot about the, the value of story, uh, not just for practical, you know, getting people's attention and making it memorable reasons, but also for like a deeper sense of like, this is how, God does things, right. you know, that, that, that storytelling narrative reflects something that we see God doing on this epic scale. And, and again, I think 
there's definitely a valuable truth to that. And, and it's something worth exploring. And I'll suggest what we do is we explore that idea in the next episode. Okay. Like, like take that bracket it and say, you know what, let's come back to that. And, and in our next episode, we can talk about storytelling uh, the value of storytelling to Christians, literature, and, and all of those kinds of things that are often discussed right. in the context of parables. But let's set it aside for a moment because in Matthew 13, the disciples ask this very question. You know, they turn to Jesus and say, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you teaching in parables? And Jesus answers them. And what's interesting to me is his answer is not any of those things that we've just talked about. And so if we want to understand why Jesus is using parables, I, th- I think, you know, let's, let's see what he says. <laughs> so if you look in Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given." and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, And then he quotes here from Isaiah, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. So if you think about that, it's kind of ironic, but the reason that Jesus gives for teaching in parables is kind of the opposite of what we've been discussing. It's not because it makes learning easier. It's not because it really helps drive the message home. It's not because there are some people who learn better through storytelling than they do through analytical, you know, logical sequence. It's actually more about hiddenness than it is about revealing in a, in a strange way. And I find that puzzling. Like I find it something that, that I can't just glibly assimilate. It seems to me there's there's a mystery here. There's something yeah. deeper going on than we often think when it comes to parables. You're right. It is sort of mystifying. Even that verse 13 where he says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. It's kind of a difficult sentence. What exactly are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying they're not going to get it anyway, or I need to conceal this so that you're the only ones who understand it. You know, obviously there's something with the hearts of these people that's going on. And we've been seeing that throughout the whole book of Matthew already, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's challenging. So is it the case that these people have hardened their heart and have turned from Jesus so that they can't see any longer, they they won't get it? Or is this sort of a judgment on top of that, where he's holding back the message from them because they've shown that they're 
they're not responsive to the kingdom. It does seem that this shift to parables is a response to the resistance and that what Jesus has taught openly, he is now teaching in a more concealed way or a more ambiguous way, let's say, and that it reflects this difference that he sums up kind of by dividing, let's say, like the haves and the have-nots, or you know, those who understand or see and those who do not. I think maybe a way to think about it is when it comes to Jesus giving knowledge of the kingdom, he's distinguishing between those who have a right to that knowledge and those who do not. And that seems to be what's happening here, that that not everyone who hears is meant to understand. Now, there's something complex there going on. And if you compare Mark's gospel, uh, it's sometimes said that Matthew and Mark give us kind of two sides of the coin here, where mm. Matthew gives us a sense of the the idea of the people's resistance leading to the consequence of this parabolic teaching. Uh, Mark maybe gives a sense more that it's the other way around. Like it's because these people cannot hear that they're going to get this thing that won't make sense to them. Um, So you might see this as another snapshot of that tension between uh, human freedom and divine sovereignty. Mm -hmm that there is a message that's going out like the seed in the parable being scattered, but depending on whose ears it lands in, it's understood or not understood. Now, if you think about the ground that we've already covered in chapters 11 and 12, I think there's, there's another angle to this. We've seen that knowledge can actually intensify judgment. You know, that the Pharisees have knowledge, but it's a knowledge that makes them more guilty. You know, Jesus compares their condition to uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon. He compares them to uh, the, the men of Nineveh who repent mm-hmm. when the men of you know Judea will not. And so that all has to do with the, the connection between repentance and the amount of knowledge you have. Right, they have a lot of knowledge, but they haven't repented, and so that knowledge, in a sense, condemns them. So I think introducing parables here is kind of illustrating one of the consequences, let's say. And so when you think of parables, don't think of you know stories that are now meant to make the message more accessible or, or simpler, but actually stories that are meant to embody a truth for those it belongs to, but guard it from those who have no right to it Yeah, in an odd kind of way. Yeah, guarding it, that's an interesting way. Of, he's fencing the message in a way. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And and that you, using that word fencing, I think, is really good because if you compare this to what we do when we come to the Lord's table, mm-hmm. well, the, 
if you ask yourself why we fence the table, why is it then when we celebrate communion, we will give a kind of warning, you know, a rubric in the liturgy or even a verbal fencing of the table that says not only who should participate in this, but also who should not participate in this. Saying those words in the 21st century can be very controversial because we don't like the idea of anyone being excluded. And so when you fence the table, there's always the risk that someone present there will misunderstand what's happening and think, oh, this is, this is cruel. You know, this is uncompassionate to deny people this thing. But the rationale for doing that is that the, the same sacrament which gives life to those who receive it in faith intensifies judgment for those who receive it unworthily. It would be better for you not to partake than to partake without faith. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why we fence the table. If you now think about a parable, in an unusual sense, I think it operates in the same way. That it's, it's guarding those who ought not to possess this knowledge from having it, and only those who can hear it actually receive it. <laughs> so another element of that, you might think, is the operation of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we talk about what the Holy Spirit does, when we read the Word, the, the term we use is illumination. Right? So the Holy Spirit is responsible for the inspiration of Scripture. But even now, if we're going to read Scripture and understand it, the Holy Spirit must illuminate the Word to us. Again, the parable works that way, mm-hmm. right? The, the story is told, but it's only if the Spirit then works to give understanding that the message is truly received. Yeah. And so you can see that, that the parable and the way Jesus describes the function of it parallels the way Scripture is open to some and closed to others, the way the table brings life for some and would bring judgment to others, same kind of thing going on with parables. Hmm. I'm curious about the section, though, where he says, you know, the strange thing with those who have will receive more and they'll have an abundance and those who don't have, even that will be taken away. That seems to be slightly different than these people who have too much knowledge. You right. know, we're going to shield. He seemed, you know, now there is somebody who doesn't have, but even that thing that they don't have is taken away. But I think they are connected, yeah. though, because, yeah. like, when we hear that, we hear, okay, those who have will get more, and those who have, you know, little will, will have even less. We think of that in economic terms. Like, it sounds like a critique of capitalism or something, you know, that, yeah. that uh, oh, yeah, this is how this works, right? The haves always get more and the have-nots get less. You know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah. That's, that's the way it works. But you have to ask yourself, who does Jesus intend to be those who have little and are getting less? And, and it's not the poor, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's people who are rich in knowledge and position and power, but what they have is little understanding, right? right? They've hardened their hearts. They have little openness to the truth. And that little openness to the truth that has led them to reject Christ 
now they will have less opening than before. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's, there's a distance that their rejection places between them and salvation. And so I think that that's the, the sense in which they overlap, mm-hmm. that those who have faith will have their faith strengthened through their hearing of these parables, mm-hmm. through their participation in the ministry of Christ. But those who have no faith will actually have their faith, quote-unquote, diminished even further through these same things. I think that's Mm -hmm. what's going on there. Sure. That's really helpful, actually. And it's making me wonder, how how should we be preparing ourselves as a church to receive these messages then for the next several weeks? Yeah, so I think one of the things that that we're going to make an effort to do is not only think about the stories, but also look at the way Jesus interprets them, because he does give some interpretations. And this is going to sort of give us a sense for how to interpret Mm -hmm. the stories. But but there is actually a, a point that's more important, I think, than the question of how to interpret, especially how to interpret the details, and that is how to respond. Right. So when you think about, for example, the parable of the sower, right, and you have three kinds of soil that ultimately are fruitless and only one that produces fruit, naturally, when we hear this story, the question we're invited to ask is, what kind of soil am I? Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen all of this opposition to the kingdom. The question is, are we going to join it? Are we, too, going to question Jesus? Or... Are we going to be receptive to what he is saying and, and, and hear and believe it? So I think as we are studying parables, we really want to do both of those things. We want to understand the storytelling and we want to get good at interpreting those things. But also on a deeper level, we want this to shake us up a little bit, maybe wake us up so that we recognize that we're being called to follow him not just agree with him. Mm. You know, and those are different things. So yeah. when you think of a parable, you might think of a parable as as a cryptic narrative analogy. Okay. So it's cryptic in the sense that it, it's possible to misinterpret. Like it, it's open to interpretation. It's narrative because it's a story. And it's an analogy in the sense that Jesus is typically going to be comparing some concrete example from our everyday world to a spiritual reality that is harder to grasp and more mysterious. Mm. So each of these parables will have that quality to them. There'll be a little bit of mystery to it, there'll be a little bit of story to it, and ultimately it'll be about taking concrete things we understand and using that understanding to illuminate spiritual things that we really don't understand. Mm. And if you keep that in mind, that gives you a a good handle on how we're going to be navigating through Matthew 13. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for this kind of introduction to parables, this refresher for us. How many weeks are we going to be in these parables? Do you know? It's going to be about six or seven weeks to get through the the chapter and it won't be the last time that we ever see Jesus using a parable, but here we're, we're getting a really concentrated dose. And so this is going to, to be our uh, opportunity to, to really get our feet wet and, and really focus in on how to interpret parables.
Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.